Hey there, I'm Michael Whistler, and I sincerely believe that science fiction can help us save the world. On this episode, I'm going to be reviewing the brand new book that just came out in May uh, by author Andy Weir uh, of The Martian fame, and uh, discuss uh, some of the interesting themes the book brings up and some interesting concepts to unpack, and my reaction to the book overall. So stick around, because I'm really going to dive into what works and what doesn't about Andy Weir's new book. This is Exploring Tomorrow. As I've already discussed in the past on this podcast, I'm a big fan of uh, The Martian, uh, both the book and the movie. I read the uh, book first uh, before even knowing there was going to be a movie or anything like that and quite enjoyed it. Uh, and so I've been tracking along with uh, what Andy Weir has been doing, the author of The Martian. And uh, most recently, he released a new book uh, called Project Hail Mary. And uh, I pre-ordered, and because of course I wanted to see what the book was like, uh, so I got a chance to read through it. But you know, with the schedule being what it is, I haven't had a chance yet to do the episode to review uh, this book, uh, which is fine. It's given me time to kind of ponder some things over and really unpack some ideas. So I'm looking forward to discussing it. Uh, so first of all, I what I'm going to be doing this episode is I'm going to talking in some general terms at first, as I have sometimes in the past, uh, to allow people who want to maybe check out just the first chunk of the episode and based on that, uh, decide whether they want to continue or not before I give any spoilers. Uh, so maybe you want to listen to just this first part and then you want to go check back, uh, and listen to it later after you had a chance to uh, read the book or listen to the audiobook. Uh, totally fine. Encourage you to do that. Uh, if you don't mind spoilers or if you have read the book already, uh, then stick around for the whole episode and there will be spoilers later on because I want to get into unpacking some of uh, what Weir does in this book that is definitely different than what he has done in the past. And uh, really, I think what ends up working and what doesn't about the book uh, from my perspective. So we're going to dive into that. So first of all, just my overview of the book itself. It's a really interesting concept. Uh, it is based around uh, this idea of a type of biological life that can actually survive on the surface of stars. And as such, this biological life, this, this microscopic life really, uh, begins affecting the, the way our star is burning, our sun is burning, and diminishing the output from the sun. Uh, so initially, it's like, oh, this is like a different take on, say, like a movie like Sunshine, right? Where the the suns uh, suddenly seems to be dying way sooner than anyone expected. And so we got to figure out what we're going to do and going to send a mission to uh, reignite uh, the sun and, and make sure that the sun uh, 
you know, reestablishes its normal chemical reaction processes at the right levels so that we don't go into some sort of catastrophic doom scenario where we're just not getting enough sunlight and our uh, planet cools down way too much. Um, it's an interesting, interesting idea. That That's a, a fascinating movie in its own right with... Uh, Deeply flawed in some ways, but uh, but fun movie in its own way. Now, familiar idea, and plenty of other people have played with similar things like, oh no, the sun's dying, things like that. Um, what Weir does here, though, is he creates a, a very fascinating, plausible new life form that uh, ends up being dubbed astrophage. Astrophage uh, are these microscopic uh, life forms that basically can convert uh, energy into uh, mass uh, very effectively. And that's like, that's how they, they survive. And uh, so, of course, they're threatening our survival now as they're uh, taking over the surface of the sun and kind of traveling between sun and Venus. All of this comes out pretty quickly. Uh, in the book, you figure it out. Honestly, you figure it, figure pretty much all of that out from reading the jacket uh, description, more or less. Um, so not giving too much away. It's just the setup of the scenario of like now why suddenly Earth is in an utter scramble to figure out what to do, how to respond to this crisis, because it means that there's a significant drop in the amount of energy we're receiving from the sun. And that translates into uh, the onset of massive climate change in the opposite direction of what we're experiencing in terms of man-made climate change, of increasing the temperature of the atmosphere and the world's oceans and the impact that that has on a world. This is going the opposite direction and suddenly we're now facing down this uh, climate change that the planet is going into, uh, going to cool down significantly. And we're going to have all kinds of crop failures and all kinds of major catastrophic uh, climate issues um, that will impact the really the, the ability of the human race to survive, the ability of so many species to survive. It's going to be so disruptive that left completely unchecked. You know, you got to figure this is going to go downhill pretty badly. Um, not the least of which is the fact that the astrophage isn't necessarily going to like hit hit a point of like great equilibrium and just like kind of like stop uh, sucking energy down from uh, the sun. So we got to mount some sort of mission to go figure this out to to address this problem, to find if there's some sort of solution. Uh, where the story really picks up, where it begins, is we, uh, in, in typical, I think, Andy Weir fashion, uh, he really goes for the first person uh, voice, first person writing. Um, that, that's where, like, stylistically, I differ quite a bit. Uh, from Weir, I, I tend to like third person more, but he does really well with the first person. Uh, so I like reading good first person stories. And so that's where he is. He's bringing us into the mind of this character who wakes up and um, doesn't know where he is, what's going on. He's got robotic arms taking care of him. Doesn't remember who he is for that matter. And uh, slowly comes to realize, oh, I'm I'm on 
this spaceship called the, the Hail Mary. And I am very far from Earth. And slowly he begins to put piece together uh, his memories of being uh, deployed on this mission to figure out what um, that what can be done really about the astrophage. And so he has been sent out to one of the nearest stars uh, to Earth um, because it too, uh, we've been able to determine, has astrophage uh, that's feeding off of its surface, but something is keeping it in check. Uh, we've been able to determine that it has astrophage and that it's not, it's, it's in equilibrium. It's not, um, it's not exponentially decreasing the energy output of this star. And as such, there seems to be some level of stability, some sort of equilibrium. And so all resources have been poured into going to this distant star and, uh, well, really not so distant uh, in terms of galactic <laughs> uh, terms, uh, but the, the mission has been put together to send out a crew uh, that has to survive basically being put in a coma. So this is an interesting choice that uh, Weir makes and I think is, is pretty fascinating because he is trying to build a very current and plausible world uh, and respond to interstellar travel with some very real uh, scenarios here of, in terms of like what it would take. So how he does that, which is I think really kind of fun and interesting is, well, the cool thing about astrophage, aside from the fact that, you know, unfortunately it's uh, trying to, you know, well, it's not consciously trying to kill us, but, uh, but the fact is it is, you know, destroying us. If we put that aside, it's an incredible, um, new discovery for the human race, which allows for uh, a whole new form of energy, uh, a whole new energy source, really, and a whole new source of fuel for a rocket ship. So that's really how they manage the interstellar travel. But it still, you know, takes what, like four years or something like that to get out there, uh, send out a crew of three is kind of a rough deal to just be cooped up in a ship for four years. So basically they figure out that they can put people in a coma and uh, they could, you know, they don't have to experience all four years and then be awoken there. There's some real risks to that and, and Weir gets into that and sort of some interesting scenarios about who can and cannot be put in a coma. And um, so there's some, some consequences and risks that come with that. But when, um, uh, the character, the main character of the story, uh, who eventually figures out his name is Ryland Grace. Uh, when, when Ryland wakes up, he has to also contend with the reality that he's the only one who's made it, that's, that's survived the coma. So he's all alone. Uh, his two other crewmates uh, have deceased, uh, which was, I guess, a risk of the uh, putting them putting people in a coma for that trip, even if they were supposedly pre-screened and predisposed to uh, being able to survive the coma. It's not 100%. So fortunately, they didn't make it. So he's all alone. So here's where it's like, here's the thing. After Artemis, which is um, Andy Weir's uh, second novel, uh, the, the first thing that he uh, published after The Martian, 
Uh, this is an interesting return to familiar territory for Andy Weir. Uh, because rather than spend too much time or, or, or really spend much of the book trying to exist in a realm with a whole lot of other people and deal with sort of that kind of world building uh, in Artemis, which I think didn't work for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily go for the character relationships and the world he was trying to create there on the moon. Overall, I thought Artemis was an okay book. Uh, enjoyable enough, uh, but not certainly not his strongest work by any stretch of the imagination. So Weir seems to be returning to very familiar territory. Okay, let's have a character all alone, uh, and a, you know, a white male character <laughs> all alone, uh, stuck in, in a situation where uh, he's got to really use science and logic and physics and math uh, and really science the shit out of things and, and just figure it out, work out the problems. Uh, so in, in some ways, um, that may be an, a, a kind of a maybe a ding right there for Project Hail, Hail Mary to a degree in the sense that on the one hand, Andy Weir is returning to territory that I think is uh, he's very good at delivering in. On the other hand, it's like it can feel uh, a bit like, oh, are we just kind of like redoing The Martian? Now, thankfully, I will say this. All that considered, and I had those thoughts, like, oh, okay, I go, like, we're kind of like redoing The Martian. We're just going to have this guy alone in space, and he's got to kind of figure things out. The scenario is different enough, and the types of problems that uh, Ryland Grace faces are significantly different than the ones uh, Mark Watney faces. And as such, uh, it has its own personality, it has its own style. And I would say that it's still... Uh, was still an enjoyable read. So I think ultimately my takeaway from the book is I burned through it uh, very quickly because Andy Weir definitely has a style of writing that keeps you interested and engaged and uh, going from one problem to the next. Uh, and certainly the scenario itself, the setup is it's high enough concept and, and the, the stakes are I mean, you, you can't get much higher stakes than a uh, poor dude suffering from amnesia, stuck all alone, but understanding that the future of the entire human race rests on his ability to figure out what's going on in this uh, neighboring star that allows the astrophage to be at a level of equilibrium Whereas it's on a runaway reproductive course um, back in our solar system. So it's, you know, like all of that setup is makes it a really fascinating thing. And it is a very fun read. So in the end, as far as do you choose to take the time to read it or not? I'd recommend it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun book. Uh, again, it's not a perfect book. It definitely has some real flaws uh, in places. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But flaws and everything, there, there is no such thing as a perfect book. Nothing that doesn't exist. Um, 
So flaws and everything, I would say, hey, it's still a really fun read. Uh, it's It harkens very much back to classic science fiction, uh, the golden age of science fiction, as it's uh, often called. Um, so this is very much in the vein of the the type of storytelling that if you're a fan of that age of science fiction of uh, Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, and uh, their contemporaries, then I think you're going to really enjoy this book because there's a lot of careful, very, very painstaking, careful work that Andy Weir has done to make the scenarios incredibly plausible and to really work through the math and the physics and the chemistry of these various scenarios and deal with and come up with, you know, he's, what's, what's cool about this and what's different about the Martian is he is speculating about something even bigger and grander uh, than just, oh, what would it take to survive uh, being stranded on Mars? Which is in itself a really cool scenario. Still love it, uh, but it is it is where I will give uh, Andy where high marks here. Where I really will will celebrate that he's taken on something I think very meaningful and cool is this idea of answering some you know the age old questions. Now we have as human beings and science fiction it tends to ask, which is. Are we alone in the universe? Uh, where did life come from? Um, and what, you know, what lengths can we go to <laughs> to potentially save uh, our race when it comes right down to it, to save our planet when it comes right down to it? And he's tackling all these things and he's speculating about new life forms and how these life forms might function very differently than the life forms we are familiar with on Earth, and, and yet what maybe connects them. So all of those things make it just really fascinating, very worthwhile science fiction to read, uh, and certainly something that um, I, I enjoy reading and I would will probably even revisit at some point. And I'm glad, you know, he's doing that because I like his style uh, to a degree and I like his approach. And I like that now he's taking on something that's a lot bigger than I've seen him take on in both The Martian and Artemis. Uh, so with that, I think, check it out. If this sounds like your cup of tea, uh, there's a lot of fascinating storytelling happening in this book that I think is going to be very much enjoyable uh, for readers who enjoy that kind of uh, classic science fiction tale. So if that sounds like your thing, feel free to uh, pause the episode now and go check out the book if you haven't. And then you can always come back uh, to this episode and finish out the, the rest of it and see if you agree with my assessment of the book, if you agree with some of the things I'm about to nitpick <laughs> about the book. And uh, yeah, or, or even come back at me and say, hey, no, I totally disagreed with your take on the book. Um, and why did you recommend it? What's wrong with you? I welcome it all. That's okay. We can have that conversation too. Uh, so if that's you and you want to go check out the book and uh, come back and uh, be able to, you know, <laughs> 
So if that's you and you want to go check out the book uh, without further spoilers, then encourage you to pause right now. Okay, so it's uh, the rest of us who are either okay with spoilers or have already checked out the book, or maybe you're back from having checked out the book. Uh, so welcome back and let's dive into it. So it's a very interesting scenario, as I've said. I do think it is telling that we're uh, seems best at this kind of storytelling, where it's going to put a character alone uh, for the most part in a situation that he kind of just has to work his way through. What I noticed was with that, there's also the overlap that while Rylan Grace is a very different person than uh, Mark Watney, uh, and and it's kind of it's kind of weird that maybe the most distinctly different thing about Mark Watney and Rylan Grace is that Rylan Grace um, is an elementary or no, he's a middle school teacher. And uh, therefore, he's worked hard to clean up his language. So he doesn't swear left and right like um, the way Watney does in The Martian. Uh, and part of me, honestly, it's just a, a bit maybe a, a slightly cynical um, observation, but part of me is like, did, did Andy just, uh, not want to revise, uh, uh, the book and like take all that stuff out to make a young, a younger reader's version? Uh, because I know that that happened with the Martian because of all the science in it and all the problem solving and all that stuff, uh, schools wanted to use it, but they're like, man, it says, you know, like there's a lot of language in it. So, so there is there is a like kind of PG thirteen version of uh, the Martian out there that schools use and whatnot. And some part of me is like, is that like, did we just make Rylan Grace like he does a few times he swears, but for the rest of the time, like he's very like, you know, he's always using gosh darn it and and other phrases instead of like actually swearing. And uh, part of me is just like, is that just really so? So the book is more palatable uh, for the for the school market, as it were. Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, it is kind of telling that in a lot of ways, though, the sense of humor of Rylan Grace and Mark Watney and, and kind of the way they kind of respond to these very dire circumstances, they're they're not that dissimilar. They're they're not exactly the same, but they're not that dissimilar. And I think that really does come back to that reality that we're even admits to, you know, Mark Watney being more or less himself, like, oh, what would I do in these situations? And I think he's kind of come back to that very familiar territory, um, which I don't know that he had to come back that far. I know, I know he felt maybe potent. I don't. I guess I don't know that he felt this way, but I can imagine that given the negative reactions uh, from him writing a female character of color uh, for Artemis, uh, which I th I thought like look for for all intents and purposes, it worked okay. Was it the best like development of a character ever? No, but it was, it was all right. <laughs> you know, um, it, it was, it wasn't like she was completely cardboard, uh, in, you know, she was a three dimensional character in Artemis and, and she was living in a very different world, uh, on the moon than 
we do here on earth. So all of that said, like her sort of life experiences are going to be very different uh, in that kind of scenario. So I was like a little willing to kind of forgive it a little bit. But here Andy definitely seems to come back to uh, more or less writing himself uh, in this scenario. And while it's fun and easy to read and like, like it didn't, it didn't slow me down in like breezing through this book. Uh, it is a little like, hmm, I don't know if you tried that hard, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Like, it sounds really harsh to say that, but it's like, man, I don't know if you tried that hard to like really flesh out a, 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 a bigger, different character in this scenario. Now, what I do like about Ryland Grace in this book in particular is that I do think that there is a more clear character arc to Ryland Grace than there is to Mark Watney. And that's an interesting scenario to, to contemplate for a moment. Watney just has to like survive and try to get home and, and not go insane. <laughs> right. Um, as the first, probably truly big spoiler here coming up. If you, uh, haven't paused yet and you don't want spoilers first, really, truly big spoiler here. And we find out further into the book as uh, Ryland Grace is getting his memories back. Uh, he's kind of an asshole. Like, you know, like he's a good guy, but but he's kind of a coward. And he makes a very selfish choice, right? Like, like I get it. I get it. And yet I'm like, you know, you can't help but also be like, but dude, the entire human race is at stake here. And you're going to say no to going on this mission because you don't want to go on a suicide mission, but the entire human race is at stake, you know? So you like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I would think that most of us would be hard pressed to be like, oh yeah, no, that's fine. I get that. Like, I think most of us would be like, no, like if you are in a position like Ryland Grace is in, of having this knowledge, this expertise, and all this training, and then suddenly we're put up, uh, pushed up in, into a corner where it's like, you know, we lose a couple of the critical astronauts that we need, and you have the, the, of a, you know, you're the most logical replacement for them. You have all this expertise and knowledge. Like, yeah, I think you have a moral duty to step in and be like, I got to be part of something that's bigger than myself. And yeah, it's going to be a suicide mission and that's going to suck. And I wish I didn't have to do it, but I got to, I got to do it. You know, so it's really fascinating that his character doesn't. Uh, but it does make for this interesting thing, right? This this uh, interesting bit of storytelling and character arc because ultimately he gets the opportunity to make that choice. Now, you, you, you know, we, we find out that the amnesia was by design. We find out he's forced onto uh, the ship and that's why he, uh, 
you know, he's just going to wake up, not quite remember what's going on, but then it was supposed to be his crewmates would help orient him to what was going on. And then eventually, by the time he managed to recover from his temporary amnesia, that he would be too invested in, and he's already out there. And well, you know, you know, he's going to die anyway. So it's kind of like, ah, fuck it. Just save the human race. <laughs> you know? And, um, so they kind of banked on that, right? And and sure enough, like uh, that that is what happens, right? He by the time he figures it out, he's like, okay. But then he's presented with the opportunity, as you know from having read the book, I assume, uh, he's presented with the opportunity to actually be able to go home. But then comes complications of he could go home and save the human race, but there's an entire alien species that now he has the opportunity to save as well and he ends up making the choice of even if it means i die and i most certainly think it will i gotta go save rocky's planet i gotta go save rocky and by saving rocky i can save his entire species and um, so he has a, a, the opportunity to redeem himself, which I think is really cool. And so I, I will give high marks to Andy Weir for that, because I think that's a really cool thing that uh, I haven't quite seen him do to, to that extent uh, in his other books. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that kind of... Um, character journey because i think really the most satisfying stories tend to be the ones that your character grows and changes uh and it doesn't always have to be like oh they're an utterly selfish person <laughs> you know uh, and it's not like Ryland grace is an utterly selfish person either um he just he's just uh, petrified of the notion of dying that way and, and just didn't didn't want to go into it um and he's kind of selfish, right? There's little hints about it. Like you know, the fact that he doesn't even seem to be in, doesn't have any like committed long-term uh, relationship partner or anything like that. Uh, he's very much uh, a bit self-absorbed that way. And um, so for him to overcome that self-absorption and put others first, I think is pretty cool. Um, so that was, you know, that's probably, I think, the biggest thing out of the book that in terms of like character journey that really stood out to me is like, oh, that's cool. Now, I, you know, there are ways in which the book does struggle. Again, uh, I would agree with some of the other reviews out there and comments about uh, maybe Weir doesn't quite um, world build and be able to do like relationships between people quite as well. Um I don't, I don't think it's totally bad. Like, see, so we get all those flashbacks, right? And, and uh, we get the, the what life was like on Earth and the lead up to all of this and who Ryland was when he was on Earth and how he got involved with all of this and how he was training people. Um, so we get all of that. We get that picture. It it works well, um, but, but I would say it's, yeah, it, it, that's where it's like, it's like... Um, Michael Crichton level, like, oh, this is cool and interesting and sure, like, these are some fascinating scenarios, but it's mostly, like, plot-driven and the characters aren't necessarily, to be honest, like, super deep. Yeah. 
So, which again is like one of my my struggles with Michael Crichton, right? Like, the dialogue's not great, and the the the, the characters aren't always like super deep, like well fleshed out characters. It's really kind of like how does the plot move along? Um, and so the flashbacks feel kind of familiar in that territory. Uh, but again, you know, we're just covering a big a lot of a story and he manages to like breeze through it, I think fairly well. And it may, it remains entertaining. So it's like, is it, you know, is it going to win awards for, uh, it's world building and for the depth of all the characters and their relationships and how they converse and dialogue and the subtext of all of those things. No, nah, not necessarily. Um, it probably could use more development, more work in those areas. Um, but really, if we're being honest, the flashbacks are, are really just kind of MacGuffins to keep the uh, main plot, which is Ryland in the ship trying to save uh, the human race, trying to figure out why the astrophage uh, is in equilibrium here at uh, this particular star, Arendari. Um And really 40, 40 Arendari, right? <laughs> um, and so it's not like, it's not like that stuff is, is as fleshed out as maybe as it could be, which we, I would like. Um, but it, it kind of just, they, they're mostly just there to conveniently kind of propel the plot forward. Uh, it works. It works. Uh, from a, just a staying engaged and being entertained, I knew that if I turned the page, I would learn something new and it would keep me hooked and keep me interested. And I would, and sure enough. And so I kept turning pages, kept turning pages and uh, it works. So in that capacity, uh, it works. Uh, but it's maybe not like the sharpest uh, style writing. So I get why some people are criticizing that aspect of it. Now, there's an interesting theme, a bigger sort of interesting theme, and that um, I've hinted at a little bit uh, in terms of just talking about how this book feels very much at home within the realm of like golden age science fiction, uh, that would be very much something that folks who like Heinlein, Asimov, and uh, their contemporaries would very much uh, enjoy this book. And the I think the number one reason for this is something that actually uh, I got to discuss on the last episode, the previous episode here, um, with uh, author Alec Navalli. Uh, that's the whole concept of the competent man, which was a very big thing uh, that John W. Campbell, the editor of Astounding Magazine, which later became Analog Science Fiction and Fact Magazine, uh, was something that he was a huge uh, proponent of. Uh, you know, this idea of this narrative of the competent man that is able to go do uh all this problem solving, all this science, all this math, and kind of you know, like almost no scenario in which you can throw this competent man into that he can't sort his way out. And we see that play out a lot in Heinlein's books. Um, think of uh, The Catwalk Through Walls. Uh, you know, it's very, very much um, something that was born out of that age and out of that logic that, and it, and it generally, you know, it's the interesting thing as we, you know, 
kind of talked about in the last episode too. And I encourage you to go back and like really listen to that and, and even more specifically read Astounding by um, uh, Alec Navalny because it's a fascinating book that covers this history of this period and touches on these, the ideas and the, the shaping and what shaped the idea of the competent man. And, it, you know, but it's like the, the competent white male uh, straight man really uh, in so many ways. And there, it works really well for a story and it, and it gives you like a really good structure to build a story off of. Um, the, the limitations of it are that um, it is incredibly individualistic and Western in that capacity. Um, and as such is not does not actually manifest itself in the real world that often, if I'm being honest. So it works pretty well again here in this book to see this competent man narrative play out. Um, but it would be, you know, and, and sure, like uh, basically um, you, you get the alien sidekick uh, who's really, you know, the conveniently kind of good at the, the things that Ryland isn't. And, um, they're able to work their way through all these various problems. Um, and I think that's also, I think one of the, the, the troubles that I have with this book too, is that at no point that I really feel like, well, maybe this actually might go south. Like <laughs> this might actually go belly up. Um, I don't know. It, it, things never quite got as desperately dire as I expected that they might. Um, certainly there are much more dire moments in The Martian where it's really like, I, I'm sure there's gonna be a way to figure this out. But in the moment when you're reading it, it's like, I don't know, this might this might actually go belly up. <laughs> he might actually not make it. Um, the, at least that sneaky suspicion, that feeling you get, which I think is really powerful as a reader and keeps you going, right? That tension of like, wait, does this actually work out? How does this actually work out? Um, and that's kind of a, I, I think a bit of a shortcoming of Project Hail Mary is that at no point did it feel like it necessarily was going to fail <laughs> you know like there's a lot of like things that and then we worked this out and and then like oh there's you know yeah there's this huge new problem okay but I, then i started calculating crunching and i checked this and checked that well it wasn't this wasn't that wasn't that oh but it was this and now i started formulating a plan and it's like i mean it's cool but not at the same time like uh, it kept me engaged to a degree but it does feel a bit like maybe the competent man was a little too competent as it were. Uh, and, and, uh, and you know, like some of the things that I appreciate about, um, science fiction sometimes is when there's like aspects of questions that just kind of like remain a bit mysterious. I'm like, well, that one, we just, we haven't figured that one out yet, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's not a lot of that going on in Project Hail Mary. I think mo for the most part, they solve the issues, solve the problems, and uh, and then they're able to address uh, what they, you know, what the solution is. They're actually able to accomplish that, and which is which is great, which is cool. 
Um, I do like that the you know ultimately Red and Grace ends up you know on uh, Rocky's planet. Uh, I think that's a really kind of a fun way to sort of resolve that that story. Um, but yeah, there is this sense in which um, I don't know. Like I feel like a, a different writer. I think a, a Ben Bova would have written this so differently, where there would have been a team of people working through the, even if there's like really one viewpoint character, uh, that is guiding this. And even if that viewpoint character ultimately is a white male, white straight male, um, that there's a broader sense of maybe the team working through this reality rather than necessarily having to have it be the single, uh, competent man. Um, and I want to see more stories where it is more, um, inclusive that way. And because on the one hand, what I like about Project Hail Mary is it does give us this sense of species scale. Uh, and Hey, you know, like we've, we're all in this thing together one way or another, we might have all the things that all our tribalism and all the ways in which we're divided here, um, in the moment on the surface of the earth. But when it comes right down to it, we're actually all very much in this together and we're really all just one species. And um, what's it going to take for us to save our species in the face of dire circumstances? Um, I like that sense of scale of the story. Uh, it's just kind of interesting to package that in a competent man sort of uh, structure. So it works in the sense that it's super entertaining, super entertaining, a lot of fun. And Andy does his math. He does his research and makes it super plausible and uh, keeps you reading. And it's funny. It's funny. He's definitely bringing his sense of humor to it. And so, you know, there's plenty of things that I just really, I laugh at and, and just think are, are quite amusing. Uh, and, and there are genuine moments of like real emotional catharsis, uh, in experiencing the story. So all of that to say, like, there are these things that I'm picking at that I'm, that I'm like, uh, picking pretty hard, uh, admittedly on Project Hail Mary for, but I think also, I think it's, des it deserves a bit of a harsh uh, pick because to a degree, cause, cause I know just how popular the book is is going to be, how many people are reading it. And, and, you know, uh, it maybe, maybe more so than Artemis. I, I feel like this one's probably one that, uh, gets a movie deal as well. Um, so, you know, so I'm, maybe, maybe I'm being super harsh on it, but it's like, it's like the, um, you know, it's like when your, your teacher who saw a lot of potential in you might like really be like, look, I'm giving you an A minus on this paper, but I really want you to like, think about this, this, and this. I'm like, how do you make these things? Because they, they see the potential in you. And I see that like in, in where I, I think like, I want him, I want him to keep writing and I'm going to keep reading his books because I hope that he can actually transcend and go to the next level. And cause like, you know, again, I liked a lot of Artemis and then a lot of other people didn't. And, uh, 
And I suspect there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like, yay, I love Project Hail Mary because it's a lot more like The Martian. And I'm like, but that, is that really what you are going to want? That like you want just to like repeat past success? Like, I look, I like The Martian. I own the audiobook and the hardback book. I can reread or re-listen to it anytime. Um, it, I don't want Andy Weir to necessarily just remake that book for the, the rest of his life. Um, and I, as a writer, I think like, man, God, I would not want to just rewrite the same book for the rest of my life either. Um, I, I think that would be utterly tragic. So I have high hopes that Andy is going to continue to stretch these ideas. And so I'm curious to see what he does next, because this, the, what encourages me about Project Hail Mary is the big speculations that he's engaged in, in the character arc. Uh, I'd like to see him take on something with multiple main characters uh, that dives into a lot more of the nuances of human relationships. Uh, and that it maybe even doesn't completely, though to a degree it still can, but maybe not completely revolve around strictly problems of uh, physics, uh, chemistry, and math uh, so that a uh, competent scientist can ultimately solve all the problems. Um, I want to see well, you know, well-rounded human beings that ultimately also have to solve sort of deeper mysterious um, problems, or at least wrestle with the deeper mysterious problems we face as a species, and contend with them in a way that is deeply human. So, but with that said, I gotta say, like, I'm picking pretty hard on some things, but. The book is so damn readable and so much fun uh, that I found it super hard to put down. And, and certainly by some people's measure that, you know, man, if you can't, you, can't, you can hardly put the book down and it's probably a five-star book. And um, so that's probably the case <laughs> in that, in that capacity, or at least a super awesome, fun four-star book. Um, so I hope you, uh, uh, got something out of this sort of interesting unpacking. And I think it's really worthwhile to like take this kind of uh, time to really unpack a story like this, especially when it's so popular. Because in, in light of even um, the uh, episode, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about what makes good science fiction and the advice that uh, authors like Ben Bova and uh, Orson Scott Card have written about. Um, I think that there are some, some ways in which uh, Project Hail Mary hits some of the things they talk about, but also misses on some of the other things that they talk about in terms of really connecting uh, to the, the human journey that we're on in a lot of ways and communicating uh, really meaningful uh, content. It's certainly the strangeness of the story and the, and the opening of the scenario uh, is, uh, pays off really well. And, uh, that is something that I think Weir is, is doing very well. Uh, I just want to see more human depth in it because I don't think we have to settle for a, a science fiction that is strictly, uh, even hard science fiction that is strictly 
problem solving uh, scenarios and uh, math and physics and chemistry and uh, then everything kind of works out. Uh, I don't think we have to necessarily settle uh, for that, even though it has its place and and uh, and it's clearly um, popular, uh, you know, maybe by design to some degree by by the way John W. Campbell influenced uh, things uh, in the 30s, uh, 40s, and 50s, uh, and that influence then continues today through all the people who read those authors and then became authors, and then all of us who read those authors and became authors and so forth. Um, but I think there's room to expand and push beyond that barrier. And, and so I agree with uh, Alec Neville Lee, who mentioned in the last episode that he wants to see more uh, people pushing back uh, and sort of deconstructing the conf uh, competent man uh, narrative in science fiction. And I'd be really curious to see if Andy Weir could potentially do that. So I, if anyone ever puts a bug in Andy Weir's ear for me, uh, hey, I'd love to see you deconstruct the uh, competent man uh, narrative in science fiction and and do something really fascinating with it. Because I think you have the skill, you know, certainly from the, uh, from the advice of first know the rules and then break the rules, uh, clearly Andy Weir knows how to do competent man storytelling. So now, can he deconstruct it? I think that would be really fascinating. All right, so that's my take on Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I hope you enjoyed uh, getting to hear me ramble on a bit uh, about this uh, fascinating read. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So uh, hop on uh, the Discord link that I'll post in the uh, episode description. And uh, let me know if you've read the book, what you think, uh, or even just leave, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment below um, and let me know uh, what your reactions are if you've read the book and, and uh, what, what do you think I missed? Uh, what, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? It's okay. And let's have a, a constructive conversation because there's even more, I'm sure, that um, I could learn uh, from fellow science fiction readers and unpacking a book like this. Also, you know, please let me know what do you think I should be checking out next? What should I read and uh, potentially review? Um, but I'm also reading some content, uh, some books and whatnot, uh, and I'm looking to bring on some authors. Uh, so I'm always open to suggestions there. Uh, and if you're an author and you've got something that you want to potentially discuss, just uh, reach out, let me know, and uh, we can uh, explore what's possible there. In the meantime, I uh, encourage you to check out my website, michaelwhistler.com, and uh, you can check out some of my books on there, and then you can go through and nitpick it the same way. Uh, actually, if you did, I'd be like, be like wow, I'm honored, actually. Um, and uh, I can always learn and improve as a writer. But yeah, if you want to check out any of my books, um, because I do write science fiction, hard science fiction at that, um, feel free to check out michaelwister.com. They're available there. I uh, believe my publisher is actually still doing a special, uh, while we still have a few copies remaining of uh, Sleepwalker that are signed copies, uh, if you hop on there and order the hardback book through their uh, store on their website at doksanewsmedia.com, 
www.ebooksforsale.com, you can get signed copies. It's automatically going to be a signed copy as long as uh, supplies last. Uh, so that's at doxanosmedia.com. That's D-O-X-A-N-O-U-S media.com. And a huge thanks to Dokes and News Media for doing that, actually, by the way. And uh, otherwise, yeah, you know, uh, appreciate if you would share this podcast with any fellow nerdy science fiction fans uh, out there that you know. Uh, anyone who would like to uh, unpack these kinds of things or listen to, you know, discussions with authors and, and other influencers in the science fiction world, uh, please share it with them. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts and you can rate it, appreciate that rating, leave a review, write a quick review. All those things help the podcast gain exposure, uh, which is really high value for me uh, as so that and allows me to continue to do more of this kind of work, which I really enjoy. And of course, please reach out with any questions, comments, uh, challenges, uh, wild accusations you might have, whatever it might be. Uh, send them my way and uh, continue to be safe and well out there. Uh, I hope you're having a great beginning of summer if you're in the, I guess, northern hemisphere. As someone who grew up in the southern hemisphere, I always think about that and like, yeah, 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 it's summer here, but uh, not necessarily to the folks in the southern hemisphere. So in whatever hemisphere you're at, I hope you're having uh, a great start to this new season of life and uh, that we hopefully can get uh, past this pandemic and allow for a return to more mobility and getting to do maybe even more things in person, which I'm looking forward to, especially now that I've got my second uh, vaccine. At any rate, take good care of yourselves, read good science fiction, uh, watch good science fiction, recommend good science fiction, even to guys like me. And of course, keep asking the big questions. All right, we'll see you soon.